4: Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, Happy Tuesday to you and yours. Uh, We're getting well into the work week. And man, uh, we have a great show uh, planned for you today. Uh, We're gonna start with a bang. Uh, Brett Favre's attorney, Eric Hirschman, is going to join us. Brett Favre has filed lawsuits, defamation lawsuits, Against Shannon Sharp, Pat McAfee, I believe, uh, Shad White, a politician in Mississippi. Uh, you guys have all heard the What About Brett Favre story uh, that everyone loves to trumpet. Whenever an athlete gets in trouble, social media cries out, What About Brett Favre? Well, we're going to find out what about Brett Favre today from his attorney, Brett Favre, uh, involved in a political scandal that turned criminal scandal in Mississippi about misappropriation, misuse of of, uh, state funds, taxpayer dollars. It's been related to welfare, that that there were funds headed towards welfare recipients that allegedly were diverted to Brett Favre and Southern Mississippi's, the construction of a volleyball facility on Southern Mississippi's campus. Where Brett Favre was a, his daughter was a member of that team. We've heard a lot about this story. I'm not sure if we have heard the, the full truth about this story, and that's why we're very interested and honored uh, to be talking with uh, Brett Favre's attorney, Eric Hirschman. Eric, welcome to Fearless. And, and I'm just going to start with it, because I'm no expert on this topic. I've, I've read about it. I've tried to read up on about it. But I don't think anybody has a true understanding of, of what has transpired here. So I just want to start with a general question. What do you think the media has gotten wrong about Brett Favre and what transpired in the state of Mississippi with these government funds?
2: I think the media has gotten most of it wrong. It became a just collective mindset of we have a popular athlete, there's allegations, without doing any detailed review, made accusations against him and generally turned to tide a certain way.
4: Unpack that. Did Brett Favre solicit uh, government funds for the volleyball facility at his alma mater where his daughter... Uh, played volleyball? And, and if he did solicit those funds, did he do so inappropriately and in an illegal way, in your opinion?
2: So Brett, Brett Farb didn't do anything inappropriate or illegal. And what he did was, since volleyball was becoming a hot topic in one of the growing sports, to his alma mater. We should consider building an indoor volleyball f- facility, and it will help attract students. To be clear, his daughter played beach volleyball not indoor volleyball. It's not a facility that she would be using. The head of the, uh, the athletic director, who is also the head of the foundation for the university's athletic board, said that, you know, this is a great idea, Brett, will you help with fundraising? Brett agreed, and the athletic director introduced him to somebody who could help with fundraising and help with getting grants. That was it. All he ever did was say, I'll agree to help with fundraising, And he pledged. I'm sorry, he didn't pledge. He gave some of his own money as a gift. That was all that he did. It's in writing. It's in black and white. And this latest claim against him is literally made up where we've seen no documentary evidence to support it. And actually, all the evidence shows it's contrary to what the state is claiming now.
4: I gotta I just want you to clarify, and it's not that I'm doubting you, but I just want to make sure I heard you correctly because this is a piece of information I had never heard. I've always, based on the media reporting, I've always heard that Brett Farb's daughter was a volleyball player for Southern Miss and that's why he was trying to help the volleyball program. You're saying she's a beach volleyball player and, and would not
2: have any ac- or wouldn't be using this facility. Well, she's, a, she was, she's not there now, but she was a beach volleyball player. This was an indoor volleyball facility. So it seems that's pretty clear in the first instance. And to start with that, just to give you an idea of Brett Favre's commitment to his alma mater, he also suggested that the school try to build an indoor, indoor football practice facility to attract Dion Sanders' son, who was a top recruit, and said he's looking at schools that have indoor facilities And it would be great if Southern Miss had one. So clearly his daughters aren't playing Division I football. And yet he also suggested that as well and tried to help with the university that way.
4: So the smoking gun in all this seems to revolve around some text message exchanges where Brett asked someone, Uh, I think it was a woman, I can't recall her name, but like, would people be able to find out that I solicited this money or where the money came from? Can you explain that?
2: Sure, that has nothing to do with the volleyball facility. Nothing at all. Brett Favre was asked to do some promotional videos and he was getting paid by a not-for-profit. So like most celebrities, they prefer that when they get paid from various sources it's not disclosed and especially they don't want it out there for not for profits that had zero to do with anything else solely as you I'm certain you know when not for profits I've been involved in not for profit boards when you come to celebrities they prefer not being be publicly known who's paying them that was it and he did work and got paid for that for that work is that
4: is this the group that paid Brett like a million dollars for radio advertisements?
2: They paid him for radio advertising. He did the radio advertising. When he first found out that the not-for-profit was using funds that were supposed to be for welfare recipients, he voluntarily returned all of it. After he returned it, and the state got all the money back, even though he had no obligation, no lawsuit against him, they sued him for the same money. And that's the first complaint that they brought which we moved to dismiss, and they dropped all those allegations altogether. And so
4: I've read numerous times over the last year, year and a half, that like there was problems getting the money back from Brett Favre.
2: That's untrue? That's untrue. Brett gave the first half of the money, or more than half of the money up front. He was gonna pay the rest of it over time as agreed to. He voluntarily did it. He paid the money. And six months after the state got back every dollar, and they admit the state auditor applauded, in his words, Brett Favre for his efforts to return the money, he said, we have no records, we've seen no records indicating that Brett Favre knew that any welfare monies at all were involved. He applauded him publicly for doing it. And then later on, when he wanted media attention, his tune changed.
4: So on the outside, people have this perception of Brett Favre and other celebrities, like, hey, if he's got to return a million bucks, just cut the check, go to Cash App, do what a PayPal, whatever, just give him the million bucks. He's got so much money, just give him the million bucks. And so that's where it raises an eyebrow for an outsider. Like, why did he have to make payments? And and again, this isn't me casting aspersions. This is just me trying to understand and for the average person to understand why he would have to make payments. Is is he not as wealthy as we think?
2: Well, I don't know if he's as wealthy as he thinks, but he did work and got paid for the work and he paid taxes on that money. So remember, if he got a million dollars, he's not going to have a million dollars after he pays taxes. And last time I checked, people are allowed to get paid for their work. So this was a voluntary thing which is why initially the state auditor thanked him. It was admirable that he did it when he wasn't legally obligated to. He found out that there was an issue. He said, no problem.
4: How did he, and and this is where I'm sympathetic to Brett because the other things I've read is that he worked with the governor of the state of Mississippi. He He worked with elected officials, politicians. He's a former football player. I don't know if it's his expertise when the governor or other elected officials are saying, hey, you can get this grant money. I'm not sure if it's a reasonable expectation for Brett Favre to know where this money's coming from. He thinks it's coming from the state, and he makes the assumption wherever it's coming from, it's coming from a good place. Is that not fair to assume? I I know... Me as a broadcaster and a former journalist or whatever, if the governor was saying, hey, you could get grant money or elected officials were, I would just assume it must be coming from
2: a good place. You're 100% right. Jason, you're 100% right. This case is, and I was a prosecutor, this is the craziest case I've ever seen. This is a claim that there was a fraud in which the state, the state agency, transferred money to another state agency to build a facility on state property that's now owned by the state, which was approved by the governor, the board of directors of institutions, state employees, lawyers were involved, and the attorney general for the state of the Mississippi all signed off on it. And for some crazy reason, they think Brett is responsible for how the state spent its own money. And that, that's literally what happened. He never got a penny of this money. That, that's what's most fascinating. And the governor and everyone else arranged it, organized it. And they're the one that introduced him to this woman Nancy knew. He didn't have an inter a relationship with her beforehand.
4: And so I reached the conclusion that perhaps there's some political corruption within Mississippi that politicians are misusing funds, which seems to be commonplace, uh, and they build pork into whatever legislation they pass, whatever initiative they pass. They build pork into it. They get all the, and then they dole out the money however they see fit. But this seems like political corruption, and Brett Favre is being used as a scapegoat or a distraction rather than focusing on
2: perhaps corrupt politicians? I don't want to use the term corrupt politicians. I will say this. There is no question that there was mismanagement of Mississippi state funds by state government officials. Brett has become a distraction because he is well-known, and they were able to deflect attention away from themselves and towards him. And in our view, that's 100% incorrect. And I will tell you this. We've tried to find, and we've been unable to, any circumstance in this country in which a governor appoints the state order, auditor, which is what happened here. Governor Bryant appointed Shad White as state auditor. And then Shad White says that his boss, who appointed him, was a whistleblower in relationship to misspending of state funds. We can't find another circumstance remotely like that, and I'm pretty confident that it's never existed before. So this entire thing has been a deflection away from others and on to Brett. And that's why the media is interested because you have a hall of fame quarterback who people are hoping did something wrong when he really didn't.
4: And so at this point, I, isn't there an ongoing investigation and some people have been indicted and is there any jeopardy or fear that, that Brett Favre will
2: face criminal charges? None whatsoever. I mean, the, the written evidence is so overwhelmingly clear that Brett did nothing wrong. It's hard to describe. This entire premise for which the state is now suing him in relationship to the volleyball facility is that he supposed supposedly verbally agreed that he would fund the facility. It doesn't say amounts. They don't say with whom. They don't say time period. They don't say anything. And all the written documentation that they didn't make public and they withheld, that we've gotten hold of now, shows that it's just the opposite. That he did not make a pledge, he only agreed to help with fundraising, and whatever money he gave of his own, and he did give substantial amounts, was a gift. That's it. And for that, they're trying to sue him to recover their facility that they currently own. And
4: so I don't think I've seen that point Brought out or pushed, I, I haven't seen it in the media. You're contending Brett Favre contributed money out of his own pocket to this volleyball uh, facility, and not a small amount. That's correct. That's 100. Here to share, how much it, he? Can it, you
2: tell us how it's north? It's north of a million dollars that he's contributed. So the idea of. After when the volleyball facility had a shortfall, he's the one that committed in writing to make up the differences. He gave donations of various things that have value as well, but he's given a million dollars of his own assets to this facility. And for which he's got nothing. Remember, he didn't get naming rights. He didn't get anything. Literally nothing out of this other than doing what he had done in the past, which is support his alma mater.
4: You're arguing today, he gave a million plus dollars to this facility in cash and assets. And (laughs) how come this hasn't, when did he do this? After the controversy?
2: Before the controversy? He, he He did almost all of it before anything came out. He gave some of it in the very beginning. He gave memorability and other stuff as well, and he signed things and raised money for the university, which he's done in the past. And then he gave cash. And you know, anyone who's ever done fundraising, the way you do fundraising is you go and solicit people. And he's gone, besides people talk about you know, the state facility. He went to others and solicited to get money donated to the university. That's what you want your alumni to do. And that's what he did, the problem is that's not juicy for the media. So you had Shad White ch- completely change his tune from saying, we applaud Brett, he had still had no evidence that Brett had any knowledge of it, to all of a sudden saying, Brett knew about it. And we haven't seen any piece of paper at all that supports that, and what's one of the reasons that Shad White's been sued for defamation in his individual capacity. To be clear, Brett is not seeking one nickel from the taxpayers of Mississippi for the defamation. He's suing Shad White in his individual capacity. And he thinks Shad White should pay for the damages for his reputation. He's also
4: suing Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee. I want to play a clip from Shannon Sharp, I believe on his show, Undisputed. And then I want you to explain to me in a lawyerly fashion why you guys and why Brett Favre is suing Shannon Sharp. Let's play the clip.
0: Well, I don't think none can tarnish it because if you go back and look at his history when he played in the NFL, they should have tarnished it already. I talked to people that were in the room when Brett Favre went to the Hall of Fame and nobody mentioned about text messages that he sent to that jet masseuse. Mm. Nobody mentioned anything about the addiction that he suffered from. But yet, T.O., They brought up everything. Can you imagine if T.O. would have had an incident like Brett Favre off the field? T.O. still, to this day right now, would not be in the Hall of Fame. Yet, they walked right past it like Brett Favre did nothing.
2: That is true, I give you that.
0: The problem that I have with this situation, you got to be a sorry mofo Mm. to steal from the lowest of the low. Skip, Mississippi is the poorest state in our country. It is. It's citizens. So if that the poor state, Brett Favre is taken from the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the underserved, you made a hundred plus million dollars in the NFL, and to talking about what well, he didn't know. This is what Brett Favre takes. If you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much? So if you got to ask your, if you got to ask this question, is there any way the media can find out? You already know you're doing something wrong. The mere fact that you don't want anybody to know so you know you're doing something wrong and skip he wanted to seem so imp- so philanthropic he wanted to change the perception of the narrative he'd take money for some damn volleyball arena well his his, his daughter, daughter played so, mm-hmm. so big, oh you see what Brad fogg did for his album mater mm-hmm. no he didn't get no money came out of his pocket he stole money from people that really needed that money yep man this is this is embarrassing and he's not the only one ted dibiase a former wrestler even marcus dupree a great running back at your old the school that you love, that you loved growing up, Oklahoma. He got money. How can you got to be really low to take from the poorest of the poor? To Brad, you ain't got enough money? Okay, Skip, listen. You don't, okay, you know you're not supposed to have this. But how am I gonna give the damn speeches? Mm-hmm. They're paying you to give speeches, and you didn't even give the speeches. And now you won't even pay the money back.
4: So that's Shannon Sharp. And again, he's leaning into the text message. So if you tell me why you're suing Shannon Sharp. I think I understand why, but I just want to hear from a lawyer. And sure. then just for our audience's sake, I want you to again, because this text message thing seems to be the smoking gun. And so if you could elaborate on the text message thing and why, you, in your opinion, It's not accurate. It's not being represented well. But take as much time as you need and just walk. I I get why you're upset. If someone talked about me that way on TV and I'm getting money from a government official and I don't have access to the money, the government does. You can't accuse me of stealing from the poor when it's the governor and the state auditor and other. But anyway, let me shut up. Could you
2: please address that? Sure. Let me say it this way. Watching Shannon Sharpe again on TV is one of the reasons he's been sued. He's actually one of the, out of the three that were sued, he seems to have gotten the right legal advice, which is don't say anything now that you've been sued. Chad White had the state issue a statement, or had one, one of his employees issue a statement, even though he's only being sued in his individual capacity. So that may raise ethical issues for him about using state resources to defend a personal case, I know that Pat McAfee went on his show and made some comments. But Shannon's been quiet, and I presume he got good legal advice compared to the other two. This is a good time to be quiet. Here's his issue. Brett Favre got money from a not-for-profit. He had no idea. No one claims he did, nor would he have any idea, any way of knowing where the not-for-profit got its money. That's not publicly disclosed. That's who he got the money from. It didn't come from the state didn't come from some welfare program. It came from a not-for-profit for for which he did advertising and commercials for the not-for-profit. His question to the not-for-profit was, will it come out? Who's paying me? That's a normal question to ask, especially if you're a celebrity doing work for -for not-for-profit. Do you disclose, do you list or not? Is it going to come out? Number one, you may want to prepare yourself if it comes out and you get asked questions. But that's all, and he didn't get paid some overinflated rate. He got paid what he gets paid for doing commercial type of advertising. That's what he did. So the idea of someone saying, well, he should have known that a not-for-profit was going ahead and doing something improper in funds from a state when there's no way of that being possible, that would have been a unique circumstance. And that, that's the whole thing. And just to keep this in mind, this entire thing that everyone talks about now, this is a, this, what they're talking about is his getting paid for the, by the not-for-profit for the advertising. What Shannon talks about and discusses is the volleyball facility. The volleyball facility was something that was arranged by Southern Miss, its athletic director, the state's institute for higher learning, The attorney general, multiple attorneys were both in-house and outside attorneys, the board of directors of the Institute for Higher Learning, the governor's acknowledgement in being informed of what's happening all the time, and the attorney general signed off. If that is a scam on the state, it is the most open, notorious, publicly disclosed situation in history. And the reality of it is, Shannon and others don't like the fact. The facts are really straightforward. He went ahead and helped his alma mater. And that's what every university and every not-for-profit wants. But just saying, hey, is it going to come out that I'm getting paid by a not-for-profit, I, I, we don't see at all how that arises to anything. And no one claims that that's an inappropriate question or something that normal people don't ask in these circumstances.
4: Eric, I, I hate to ask you to speak for Brett, but I got to ask the question because Brett's not here. Shannon Sharpe's brother Sterling played with Brett Favre in Green Bay. Shannon Sharpe's in the Hall of Fame. Brett Favre's in the Hall of Fame. I have to assume there's a relationship or there was a relationship between these two guys. Was it an animus-filled relationship? Does Does Brett think... Part of what Shannon's doing is personal. Uh, I, I just, it, I'm trying to understand how two guys with a longer history as these guys have, for Shannon to go on that type of an aggressive attack on this guy. I, I wonder if, how Brett if feels. Does he feel personally attacked because he he knows Shannon Sharp?
2: Is, is he personally attacked? Of course. I mean, someone accuses you of stealing from the poor. Right when you didn't do it, that's personally attacked. What we did is we wrote a letter to Shannon. He said, You need to retract the statements, they're not accurate, they're not truthful, and apologize, which we've all learned growing up. You accuse somebody of something wrong, you apologize, you say, I'm sorry. Shannon didn't do that. Instead, you know, he put us in a position where he said, Okay, you're not going to do it. Then this is how the court system works. We'll sue you for defamation, which we told him we're going to do, and a jury will make him pay. And that'll be the apology. What he said is, in our mind, no question about it, literally no question about it, false. Brett did not steal from the poor. He didn't do it. And the idea that somebody who's given as much to Mississippi as Brett has given over the years and has contributed as much and helped the state as much as he can— the idea that he would do that is really unfathomable. And so Shannon had a choice. The choice was really simple. Right, maybe you got worked up on your show. You had a chance to retract it. You didn't. Now you can try to defend it in court. And we're going to find out pretty soon who's, being, who's telling the truth and who isn't.
4: Eric, I, I have to ask this question. I think it's a tough question to ask you, but I, I've got to ask it. I don't know how you, if you're free to answer uh, accurately, but, but it feels like Brett is caught up in the racial politics of social media that some of this seems directed at Brett Farr because he's a high-profile legendary white athlete and he's being used as a punching bag anytime a black athlete uh, does anything, social media quickly jumps to, what about Brett Favre? And 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 I'm just wondering, I'm not asking you to speak for Brett this time. I will, Hopefully we'll talk to Brett or Brett can address it on his own. But th- do you feel like he's caught up in racial politics as well?
2: I don't know if it's per se racial politics, but he's definitely caught up in the race me- social media game that's going on. I don't know what T.O. had anything to do with Brett. Whatever T.O. did in his life, he did. This idea of people saying, well, Brett would be punished differently if he was a minority. I don't know how anyone can say that with a straight face. In these sets of circumstances and facts, it is clear that anyone, regardless of your race or anything else, should not be in a lawsuit. So why people do it? Maybe it's for their own aggrandizement own self-promotion, trying to promote their shows, trying to get a certain amount of clicks. But it's really inappropriate to do this to Brett Favre. And obviously, Brett's gotten a lot of support from a lot of his former teammates to saying, you know, he knows, they know he would never do this type of stuff. But
4: I think the other thing that probably benefits you all is that uh, Marcus Dupree got money, I believe Alcorn State, a historically black <laughs> university, guy, and and Alcorn State, Marcus, they're not in the same crosshairs as Brett Favre. That's why I, I keep saying this. This seems racial. This looks like a um, uh, a, a, per, a character assassination, a lynching of someone's character because they fit a convenient profile. That it's it's. there's no risk to uh, assassinating the character of a white man.
2: That that definitely may be part of it. I don't want to say it collectively. I I will say that Brett is unique in this circumstance. He's being sued for money he never received. That's what's amazing about this. The money that he got from a not-for-profit, as soon as he found out that there was an issue, he said, okay, I'll give the money back. Regardless that I pay taxes, I don't have as much I'd go into my own pocket and all of that. He gave the money back. The other money that they're talking about never came to him. And who sues somebody and says, you owe this money back when you say the money never left the state? Forgetting which bank account it happened to bounce around to. But it started at one part of the state and ended up at the other part of the state. And and how could anyone think, anyone think that it's fraudulent when the university gets its funding predominantly from the state anyway? That's what's crazy about this whole circumstance. And they have gone out. Mm. And, and I said, Shad White, I think he said that his wife was shocked that he was on ESPN. They have gone out of their way to attack him. And it's, it's a rarity that we've seen. Shad White is a state auditor. He's been sued. Now, this, this is the second time he's been sued for defamation about another Mississippian. The first time he tried to get out of the case... Saying he had absolute immunity. He was absolutely immune because he made his comments while he was a state employee. And the court who heard that said, no, that's not right. So he was wrong on the law then, and he's definitely wrong on the law now when he's making these allegations against Brett.
4: I want to play Pat McAfee talking on his show. Uh, he, he and his crew attacking Brett Favre, and I. Want your explanation on why you guys are suing him? Let's play the clip.
3: Brett Favre's goddamn criminal mastermind. I mean, I had no, I, I had no idea. I thought Brett was just some dumb hayseed. I, I love watching him play (laughs) football. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. This guy's like. Bernie Madoff, what he was doing down there. Holy shit. There's
5: a lawsuit for $20 million plus against this group. So we're not just talking about small amounts of money here. We're talking about a scheme in which the person that was running the welfare fund in Mississippi had access to the fund and was divvying it, apparently to friends and businesses. This is like classic, why everybody trusts nobody anymore. This is people in positions to help people, people over blatantly and deliberately allegedly obviously in this whole thing and Brett is just one of like 38 names that is listed in this entire thing and it is all bad AJ it is all bad I mean it is not good at all Which everybody says it Mississippi is-, is like the poorest group I was in Jackson Mississippi driving around there probably seen there's there's no reason for the government to be taking 20 million dollars out of that place yeah. you know what I mean I mean that is not at least yeah. 20 million who knows how much more but this is like the r- problem with the world almost Isn't it, I mean, this is... Really bad, really bad, yeah. Like, yeah, it's... Man, and there's a lot of people involved, right? You say 30-some people? Is that how many people in the Yeah, lawsuit? 38. I think it was 38 people listed in a lawsuit. This is all alleged, and obviously yeah. we don't know what's real, what isn't. We've seen text messages. There's more fraud. And the way the story lays out is like there was one person that was put in a position of power, who probably flexed that position of power, by the way. Whenever they would talk amongst friends, remember this guy runs this, or, or I think it was a guy, and I think it was a lady sure. who was the head of the nonprofit. This guy runs this fund for the government. He's a big deal. So whenever he speaks, think about how you guys should be doing it this way, you guys should be doing it this way, just how matter-of-fact that person lived. Just so automatic respect because of who this person is, the position they have, that's kind of how the life they treated. And while doing that, potentially, allegedly, and he pleaded guilty in 2020, so something was going on, taking money and just giving the worst type of human, just like doing this, but then once again in public, Oh, yeah. yeah, you're welcome that I'm here, you know, like that type of stuff. And whenever you're treating in conversation, that's not good. It's terrible. It's what's wrong with the world. And one of the greatest football players of all time is directly tied into it. And it is that is not good. Like, that's not a fun thing to happen, but it is happening. And we should talk about
4: it. Brett Favre is Bernie Madoff. Your, your response.
2: That's an insane comment. Right? I mean, it's obvious when you listen to Pat McAfee. He never read any of the complaints. He didn't read the motion to dismiss. He just decided to get on the show and try to get as much attention as he could. And he accuses Brett, so we're clear, about stealing from the poor in Mississippi. It wasn't in that clip, but that's what he has said. So he, contrary to what Shannon Sharp was probably told, this is a good time to keep your mouth shut, decided to go on and speak again and make a joke that he doesn't have a lawyer. And that his wife says he's really terrible about apologizing. Well, I guarantee you the jury in Mississippi will make certain he learned how to apologize. It's going to cost Pat McAfee millions of dollars. And if it bankrupts him, then he will have learned his lesson about you don't try to promote yourself by in- inappropriately and improperly attacking somebody else. He's going he's gonna to learn well, a lesson the hard way.
4: Wow. You... you th- do you think this is going to cost him millions of dollars yep let let's let's play the clip that uh, eric was re- referred to here this was pat mcafee responding after the lawsuit was filed
5: i'm getting sued by brett Favre. what <laughs> yeah Come we on. made it boys hey you're right take a bow so i would like to let the new york lawyers that wrote me two letters before this thing got announced. First letter was, we would like you to go back and erase every single video that has Brett Favre's name mentioned in it from your YouTube library, your Twitter library, and everything else. This is a warning shot pretty much. So I looked at that, I said, that is hilarious. Of course we're not doing that. Put that down, move on with my life. I would like to let everybody know, the quotes that were in that lawsuit we're certainly accurate, mm-hmm. but there's one word I believe that was said often on this particular program if you were to watch it all, and that would be allegedly. Mm-hmm. That's, That's right. right, our job is to report the news. Allegedly, what was going on down in Mississippi with Brett Favre, the man who was suing me for money and for defamation, was being reported on this particular program because we owe the sports media world our coverage of it. Mm-hmm. We take our job seriously as journalists. Just a couple days ago. We introduced to the world darkness retreats for four days. That's right. There you go. We've made poop jokes before. Mm Yep. We've also potentially been a part of building an indoor facility, which is just like a $100,000 bubble for the Cincinnati Bengals team. Mm -hmm. We take a lot of pride in our work. We had to cover that situation, and uh, we certainly said allegedly. And a lot of people are wondering how my lawyers are going to handle this. You know it. I ain't got them. So (laughs) let's ride this. (laughs) <laughs> I'm excited to see how it goes. I'll see you in court, pal. So let me
4: say this before I ask you to respond. I I am. I went to school for journalism. I spent 25, 30 years as a journalist before moving more into just the broadcast entertainment lane. And, and I, this whole thing that we had to talk about the Brett Favre situation as journalist or as broad, No, you don't. You don't, have to, you don't have to talk about things that you know very little about. We make that distinction every day on this show. I've done it my entire career. You can keep your mouth shut. You have that opportunity as well as a journalist. So that's one thing. And then, two, his fig leaf is they use the word allegedly. I'd like for you as a lawyer to tell me, does that fig leaf cover him?
2: It, it does not and he doesn't use it in the allegations that we make against him, he should go back and read what we've said. Just listening to him describe the letters that he got tells us that he either didn't understand them or didn't read them. So it's a good PR move, but he's going to find out how the court system works. And it doesn't change because Pat McAfee doesn't have a lawyer or doesn't understand the system. So at the end of the day, he didn't need to cover it. If he wanted to cover the story on Brett Favre, he should have done his due diligence. If he wanted to say, hey, they're alleging this and here's what it says in a complaint, or "Here, here's what someone publicly has said, he could have done that. But he wanted the attention of attacking Brett and comparing him in his show to Bernie Madoff and saying he stole from everyone. Now we're gonna see whether that statement is truthful or not. My belief is it is not. And I've tried cases around this country we're gonna see how quickly Pat McAfee learns how the court systems really work in this country. And we'll see, if he wants to go pro se, I'm all for it. Let him try that. My guess is he's gonna get a lawyer and someone's gonna to try to come back, figure out how he needs to behave and what he should be doing.
4: Eric, I, I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm on Brett Favre's team just because I just have never seen uh, what what we've seen here. And again, I thought about the story in real time when it first started making news, and I chose to pull back, because I'm like, this is politics, this is, this is very complicated, and I'm looking at a former NFL punter, and a former NFL tight end, and they want to jump right in the middle of this and be the leaders on this, and I just think they let social media Tricked them into getting way out over their skis, and and I, I I feel sympathetic for Brett just because he had a really really strong reputation, and and again that doesn't mean Brett didn't have problems in the NFL. We know about his early in his career and and some problems with drugs or whatever. But Brett was a pretty beloved respected figure, and so I think you guys are going to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that that this story and the way it was handled did real damage to his reputation. I would imagine he's not getting the kind of endorsement opportunities and speaking opportunities that he used to get and that's why I believe if you guys are proven right it is going to cost these guys some serious money because there has been some serious damage done.
2: That is exactly right. He has had his reputation trashed. Everyone comes with baggage in their life at different times, and we all go through things. But they have gone about crashing his reputation for no reason whatsoever. And he literally did what every charity I've ever been involved with wants. People that are committed to them to help go out and raise funds. That's what you want. Southern Miss doesn't have the same money as Old Miss. They don't have the same reputation. They don't have the same endowments. They don't have the same benefactors. He has been committed to this university for a long time, and he did what everyone would want. I mean, when he was talking to Governor Bryant about it, it wasn't for himself. It was so the governor would help and make certain money went to a public state university. How could that be bad? It's not like it's going to the Brett Bar volleyball facility. He didn't get naming rights, he didn't get anything. He did what everybody wants you to do when you're committed to a not for profit help. And for that, these guys thought it was a big joke to trash his reputation and kill his ability or drastically hurt his ability to make a living. And they had the chance to apologize. They didn't take it.
4: Eric, uh I appreciate the time. Uh wish you guys well and uh Thank you for, you know, clearing some things up, or at least giving your and Brett Favre's side of this story. I, I don't think most people have been privy to that, and we appreciate your time.
2: Thank you very much.
4: All right, that's uh, Eric Hirschman. He's the attorney for Brett Favre. I don't know what are you gonna do. <laughs> I. I, I that seemed pretty interesting and enlightening to me. Uh, when we come back, uh, TJ Moe and Bryson Gray will join me in the studio
1: next.
4: Atheists, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You you're you can't stand on truth. And if All it was was imperfection. It eliminated us from standing on truth. This would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect. You know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly
1: into the culture, and we have to do that. You can look around and say, These guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12 year old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let them make the Bible, hate speech. You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms and they are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder
6: and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the the window sill, you kick the ladder back down let them know you you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just
7: standing up, just saying, no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, If we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ, I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men, once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out
4: you do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone be confident in your positions and we're going to inspire you we're going to eat fellowship listen to some music it's going to be the first of many roll calls that we do so we're looking for soldiers we're going to put out our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers All right, welcome back. Uh, TJ Moe, Bryson Gray in studio with me. You guys know I love to have people in the studio around. Oh, awesome. Uh, thank you guys. And uh, Larry Johnson, uh, coming from, I believe, Florida, still in Miami. Larry Johnson here to help us talk about a couple of different topics I want to get into Rihanna's uh, Super Bowl performance. And uh, DeMar Hamlin's uh, appearance in a jacket uh, that Adrian Peterson has described as blasphemous and other people were were shocked by. But let's first start with uh, Rihanna's Super Bowl performance. And I brought Bryson in. I asked Bryson to come in because I know you were critical of it or critical of the reaction to Rihanna's performance.
3: Yeah, I mean, the performance wasn't that bad, right? But the culture has gotten so demonic that we view not that bad as good. You know what I'm saying? Evil is still evil. So when I saw a lot of popular people on the right say this was a good moment for culture, Rihanna performing on Super Bowl is a good moment for culture. Performing songs, every song almost was about sex. The first song was "Be Better Have My Money. I I won't even say the literal title of the song and we call that a good moment for culture. So when I say stuff like that, I have to call it out. Like I agree, Trump's response was cringe. It wasn't the worst performance ever. But even from a creative aspect, that was mid. mid, mid, mid. That was a mid performance. People can say it was because she was pregnant. She stood there lip syncing 90% of the time. Um, it, <laughs> it, it was boring. It was, it, it was sleep. I almost fell asleep while seeing it when I was on a plane. Um, Prince was way better and Prince is sort of degenerate. So I'm 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 not even saying this purely from a Christian perspective. I just think it was mid. But when I see conservatives saying it was a good moment for culture, conservatives were not passing the vibe check. I think I even saw Candace Owens say, this is how you win culture. Rihanna, is how conservatives win culture? (laughs) What? How? She's an LGBT sex out of wedlock, by the way. She's she's pregnant without being married, um, and she's a degenerate. She's just the she's, she's 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 an abortion a, advocate. Abortion advocate. She's a well-known harlot. Um, I mean, I, I just I just don't I I
4: don't understand it. Uh, Larry, what did you think of uh, Rihanna's halftime performance?
9: I mean, I, it's funny. After a while, you start understanding the symbolism and you understand now they have to kind of tone it down ever since Sam Smith was at the Grammys. But if you look at it as a whole, all the guys in halter tops, you know, pumping and gyrating around her, you could look at it as them being uh, sperm and Rihanna is the egg. That's why she does this little walk away from them and they co following her. It, it was just hilarious to me. But like, they cut one scene out. They cut the scene out where she's on top. At the end of the show, there's fireworks, and she throws up the diamond. I don't know why they cut that out, but people are already making that go viral about why would they cut that diamond out? And I think at the end of the day, you know what it is. Sam Smith wore all red. Doja Cat wore all red. Now Rihanna comes out and wears all red. And everybody knows the devil isn't all red, but it's just hilarious that all these separate entities are putting forth the same exact tiring message.
4: Larry, that's why I had you on. I did not. Did you make the connection between the white outfits and the eggs and the whole? And, you know, now I'm thinking about, you know, at one point she scratched her vagina and, <laughs> and sniffed her fingers. And, and, man, I didn't think about that. The, the other thing I that, you know, Larry's inferring that I did, I did think like, man, these are emasculated men. And they're wearing, that, that was uh, Rihanna's lingerie line they were wearing. And at, at one point when I saw they opened it up and people were wearing bras, I thought it was men. I was told that they had some female dancers in there as well. But I, I just thought it was goddess worship. I, I just thought it was divine feminine energy and everybody's there worshiping.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think it was disgusting, but I didn't think about how he said it. He gave me a different perspective that, that I'm about to look up also to make it worse. Because at first I was still saying it wasn't that bad, but he, he actually made it sound worse than what it was. So now I got to think about that.
1: Uh, TJ, there, I don't think there were any white people involved in the performance. Uh- <laughs> the NFL, <clears throat> for uh, there's no white people allowed in the NFL outside of quarterbacks, uh, head coaches, and water boys. And so that, this is what we have going on. The we're two years in a row leaning into the hip-hop thing, and there's only one rapper, hip-hop artist, Eminem. He was there last year. We used up the white guy, so we've moved on now. We're out of people to choose from.
4: Yeah, I did hear what shot one of my friends, with Bryson, your take of how they just lower the standards. and, and you, One of my very good friends uh, in our text thread said, yeah, was, Rihanna was okay. But I like last year's much better, and <laughs> I was like, "Dang, uh, Snoop was crip
5: walking, walking gang banging.
4: <laughs> throwing up the gang signs, and you know the the most degenerate rappers in the world." And th- again, this is one of my best friends. He's my age. He's like, oh, "I like that better," and and I'm just like, "Wow, they, they've they've really got us to a point where we will accept anything." All right, Larry, I'm gonna start with you here. Adrian Peterson, the future <laughs> Hall of Fame NFL running back, uh, he was critical of Demar Hamlin's jacket. I think can we put the jacket up on screen again? I know we had those images yesterday. and so I, one of the first when I saw the jacket, Larry was one of the first people I reached out to uh, as someone who could perhaps interpret what's going on with Demar Hamlin and this jacket he wore at the Super Bowl?
9: Larry, what do you make of this? Uh, it was part of a uh, stadium collection from the artist the uh, Japanese artist Takashi Murakami. He was the guy who designed Kanye's uh, elaborate Jesus peace chain. And in this particular collection, he made shirts and pants that went with the models Cash from Chaos, Demon, Satan on one of the shirts, and this jacket was one was part of that collection. It's just blasphemous, especially when, like I said before, these entities are all coming together, uh, fashion, music and sports. And everybody right now is taking a piece of Christianity and more or less, they're taking a piece of uh, Jesus Christ or Yahushua is what I call them. So it's kind of it's, it's blasphemous at the same time. But at the same time, you know, this has to come to the forefront in order for us to know who is really controlling this world and what spiritual energy is evolving in these last days. Larry,
4: I, I'm gonna throw it back in your lap and just, have you seen this Travis Scott connection or Travis Scott did some type of cartoon that was similar to this and it's related to World. Do, do you know anything about the maybe Travis Scott and his connection to this jacket?
9: Uh, they all use the same artist. If Kanye used this artist, He's at the top of uh, the hip-hop community's list, so everybody wants to work with this particular artist. And what he can do, which is what the elite does, is be able to hide symbolism real well. The chain that he made for Travis Scott has 666 uh, hidden in the beard. So you take that energy and you put it to whatever happened at Astro that his, uh, of course, his shirt has a demon going through a portal, and people are surprised that people died at that concert. I, it was, it's hilarious to me that people don't catch on yet.
4: Bryson, I know we talked off air, and, and you think that DeMar Hamlin perhaps does not know what he, he's doing. Yeah, I think he may just think he's
3: making a fashion statement. Um, and these people like I think people like Travis Scott know what they're doing. The fashion designer know 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 what he's doing. Uh, DeMar Hamlin could know what he's doing, but you know he, he's a new guy. He just got all this fame. He's like one of those popular people right now. Um, so I think he just thinks he's doing something innocent, being cool. But if, if it's six 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 and the beard, they're trying to make Jesus look like some. I don't know, somewhat melting head figure. It is very, very odd. And on its own, it is blasphemous. The jacket is blasphemous, period, point
9: blank. Larry, let let me step in in if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Uh, Yeah, please. if If you say he doesn't know, I mean, it wasn't but a short time that he's now a spokesman of the Heart Association. You have to pay your dues to be able to have a commercial calling out LeBron James and... Michelle Obama I mean that just doesn't happen overnight you have to be a part of the program and if you if you trail where he was been been at during the Super Bowl he took pictures with LeBron and everybody knows LeBron does that symbolism uh, not only did he have that blasphemous jacket, Lil Uzi Vert had the same type of imagery on his jacket. Not the same designer, but he had the same jacket. He was following Jay-Z. Jay-Z was doing that blasphemous performance with The Last Supper. Like I said, if you if you connect the dots and go around and around, we can keep going in circles, but he is a part of that now. He's just being groomed early on in his life. So they know every step, every image, and everything he does in the public eye has to be, Categorized or managed or manipulated so it put out the message that they want. And the message right now is Jesus is bad, Satan is good. And they just keep regurgitating that same message in different bodies.
4: Larry, I wanted to ask you, and you've already followed in on it, but I want to clarify that you were a young guy in the NFL with some stardom, got underneath Jay Z did you fully well know what you were doing at that time or was that just part of a grooming cultivating stage of your life where they were trying to get you all the way in
9: i think they were trying to get me all the way in the most that i knew was just i was a part of a hip-hop record label. That's about as far as I went with it. I signed with Team Rock and I thought it was a clothing apparel and that's what we focused on. We focused on the record company having its own fashion line. So when I left uh, RockAware, I went to Jay's S. Carter cleat. So I didn't know. Like, me still throwing up the diamond at that time during games, I just thought I did it because Jay-Z did it. No one sat me down and say, hey, this is what you're really doing. No one did that.
4: Hmm. Which kind of makes your point, but yeah. I, I think he said DeMar, again, once you get, because I did, I saw that commercial where he shouted out LeBron, he challenged LeBron, Michelle Obama, and, and somebody else in the sports world, and I was like, oh man, he, they letting him toss Michelle Obama's name out he's already been baptized.
3: <laughs> I mean, I mean, his, he has a thing called chasing M's or something like that. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's obvious a part of his brand. He cares a lot, a lot about money. Um, so uh, to me, he could just be doing this because he see it as a great opportunity. You know, he survived it and he's like, I'm the biggest name out here. So I can get all these connections, be in the in club, be in that club that a lot of people can't get in. So maybe he partially knows, but I mean, part of me just thinks he's, he's being groomed. I believe he is being groomed though.
4: Let's play the clip of him talking with Michael Strahan, and uh, which to me furthers the grooming deal because someone has told him, uh, don't talk about what happened on the field. Let's play that clip.
0: After Hamlin was discharged from the ICU, the question on so many minds, what caused his heart to stop beating? You're 24, peak physical condition, can run circles around me right now. <laughs> <laughs> How did doctors describe what happened to you? Um, um that's something I want to stay away from. I know from my experience at the NFL, they do more tests than anything. And in the course of you, having your physical, did anybody ever come back with any, say you had a heart issue or anything that was abnormal? Uh, honestly, no. Um, I've always been a, a, a healthy, young, fit, energetic, uh, you know,
7: human being, let alone mm-hmm. athlete. Um, so it, it was something that was just, that we're,
8: we're still processing and I'm still talking through with my doctors just to see what everything was.
4: Uh, Larry, I'm going to start with you.
9: Why is he reluctant to answer this question? He should not have just done the interview. It just, it, it just, it was, it was horrible to sit there with that long pause and had to think of an answer where they could just cut or just, hey, give this this blanket statement and then go on about your business. He literally just dug a hole bigger than it needed to be, but he was quick to answer. like, Oh, the the the. Assistant medical guy. He, oh, he's my savior. I owe my life. And then when he asked him the question, he, he stuck like they don't have commercial breaks or editing with that. I think the whole thing was a, a show. It's all as a scam. And I, I just never believed anything really happened to him on that field. And they just every day they prove that there's always something else behind what he what actually happened to him.
1: Mm.
4: That we went insane. full tin foil here. <laughs> Not that I disagree. We went Alex Jones here. Uh, Bryce and TJ. I'm gonna drop that in y'all's lap. Your thoughts. <laughs> so obviously it was
3: interesting um, because he is right. When they're shooting these. They can they can retake. They can redo the scenes. Like mm-hmm. I mean I mean we're doing this right now. We we know what can happen uh, because you know. But at first you know what I was thinking. Um, the obvious reason for it that uh, you know a lot of people don't like to say that jabby jab that juicy juice. That Fauci out, that Trump bump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know I, I, I think if anything, it has to do with that. But I do find it interesting because, like he just said, they they could have cut. Mm-hmm. They, they knew that sounded bad. It was going to create a lot of suspicion. So maybe that's a part of the agenda. Maybe it's something deeper and bigger going on. So I you know, I don't know.
1: Why not answer, T.J. Some of it might be the mystery that you've talked about, the same reason he put his hoodie up and didn't want anybody to see his face. The, the faster we find out what happened, the faster we move on from him, and he doesn't want that. And so I think he was primed in that way. Because um, you could easily say, we're still trying to figure that out. We're still running tests. We're going to monitor me for another few months and just see, can, can we get my body to a place where it's faltering? He didn't do any of that. And so the mystery is there. He is the reason... I hate when we use people who didn't do anything but had something happen to them and turn them into celebrities. We did this with the Parkland survivors. Somehow you're a, a, a survivor of a shooting if you were on the other side of the school when somebody else got shot. This David Hogg guy <laughs> has become a Parkland survivor, and he's the guy who's leading the charge in gun control today. You, you didn't, you've done nothing. You, you, DeMar Hamlin did nothing. His body kept him alive. And a lot of qualified people, and suddenly he's a spokesman. For what? What qualifications do you have for this? And so it's a mistake putting people like this on television to speak as if they've done something or accomplished something or have any sort of qualification to be speaking on the questions we're asking them.
4: And I think, and Larry, I'll let you go on this note. I want you to comment on this statement, then we're going to let you go. But I, I think what TJ's talking about is the. It's Satanism in terms of faith, religious faith, faith in Jesus Christ, is about victory, and Satanism is about victimhood. And so rather than celebrating the people that have accomplished things, we're celebrating victims, and that's all part of this mentality. We can convince everybody that they're a victim and that there is no victory without Uh, becoming a Freemason or (laughs) becoming joining our Satanistic cult, Uh, you know, we don't tell people like, you know, Jesus and religious faith is all about victory. I I just see this as an extension of
9: Satanism. Uh, You are absolutely correct. It's funny that you mentioned Freemasonry because one of their heroic stories is about Hiram Abiff. And they take Hiram Abiff, it's a made-up story, but they take it from Scripture and the building of the uh, the temple with uh, Solomon and what happened to Hiram Abiff? He was killed and hurt, and so everybody takes a knee around Hiram Abiff, which is why when we fall down and injured on football fields, all the players now they take knees, they take knees around the player that's that's fallen and hurting. So the resurrection thing, which all goes all the way back to of course Egypt, in which where Freemasonry pulls a lot of their doctrine is from Egypt. It's just all of that, and then in, in Satanism you com- you're completely right. It's all about victimhood. Like today, would we even care about Fifty Cent if he didn't get shot nine times? No one was te- checking for his raps. No one was checking for his music. He wasn't big until he was shot. And most rappers are like that. They're not. They're really not on top of the world unless they've been shot before. So it's 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 a uh, it's a regurgitating system that never really puts forth righteousness or uprightness. It's all fate. That's why you know Scripture says. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So, what do you think his messengers are going to do? Masquerading as if they're conquering, like the the Messiah did. They're not conquering death. They've been put in positions to pretend they're conquering. And then we got to watch these long drawn out uh, rituals. And at the end of the day, we won't be. We'll be tired of Demar Hamlin if he doesn't make it to the Super Bowl. If he doesn't make it to the Pro Bowl, and then he'll tell, "Hey, this would actually happen to me." By then, we had our heads looking up in the sky looking for UFOs.
1: Mm. <laughs>
4: Larry just and Larry, thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Great job as always. Larry just reminded me of the uh, Biggie song, "You're Nobody Until Somebody Kills You." That's
1: true. Right, we got to get you out in the streets a little bit. I gotta get shot. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or kill somebody like King. Rye. Uh, all right, so we're gonna
4: include Bryson in our <laughs> approval rating. Let's go, Damar Hamlin. Let's get to our approval rating. Man, I thought I was a tough critic until I started doing this show with T.J. Moe. And every time, has anybody <coughs> gotten out of the teens
1: with T.J. As it Tom, to I think Tom Brady's in the um, high Tom, 90s. Tom. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All
4: right, so uh, we'll start. That's a preview of where T.J.'s going with his approval rating with DeMar Hamlin. Uh, job performance, again, he's on his way. He's working his way up the Freemason ladder. And so I, he's about halfway there, so I gave him a 14
1: in uh, job performance. TJ? Uh, I gave him a five because he doesn't have a job. He's not going to be playing football anymore. He is, won't answer our questions because he knows we're ready to move on. And this, this was the last moment anyone will care about him. So his fame is over.
3: Uh, I did seven for the same reasons. He doesn't have a job.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> man,
4: I don't understand. He's getting paid. His, his go, he's the manager of a great GoFundMe.
0: Hey, you, yes, you he know is. What?
4: Y'all say he's a spokesperson for hospitals
3: and stuff now, so he actually do have a job, so I actually should give him a, a higher score. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, character. <clears throat> the jacket just lost me, and so uh, we went from Pray for Lamar to...
1: Uh, hit Lamar's Cash App. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gave him an eight in character. <clears throat> I gave him a four, which mm. I think is the same uh, same score I gave Giselle. And my reasoning was, well, at least he's not a serial killer. If you're not a serial <laughs> killer, you get four points in my book. This, <clears throat> I'm telling you, this bothers me. I said on the show yesterday, this is a guy that has actually taken what was a good moment, and that is people turn to Jesus to pray for him, and he's tried to take the spotlight back from Jesus. I can't stand that. He is, he's taken now instead of a moment where he could have just wore a shirt that said Jesus on the front and we'd all be clapping for him. Instead, he, he turns it into a blasphemous jacket. Now we're having discussions about is this dude a Satanist? And so he shouldn't have got four points, but again, not a serial killer. So he gets a few.
3: I gave him 18, but hear <laughs> me out,
1: <laughs> please hear <laughs> me
3: out. I gave him eighteen because mm. in a lot of his interviews he he did he does try to mention mention Jesus and talk about Jesus and I I still am not convinced he purposely wore something blasphemous. I think mean, he's probably one of these lukewarm young Christians probably don't know anything much about the Bible. Um, so nobody that said the Bible would wear something like that. Mm. Um, so you know I, I, I don't really think so. I think I do think he's being groomed though. But then 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 I thought about he is seems like he's about money a lot. Mm. So I wish I could bring this down. I would actually give him a 10. I would
9: actually, have, I would
4: actually like to retract. Uh, authenticity, I don't think he's very authentic. I'll never get beyond the AFC playoff game or was it the championship. I can't remember. Did they, they didn't play in the championship, did they? No. Where he, it's in the snow and he's behind this window and he's doing all the little hand signals. You can barely see him. He's covered himself up. He's not authentic. He's not comfortable with himself. I gave him a 10 in
1: authenticity. And triple my score. I gave him a three and <laughs> he, I'm not sure he earned the three. This is, this is a person who, th- this is the best advice that anybody, his mother, anyone that actually cares about him and his salvation should tell him if you're trying to fit into the culture and be a Christian, good luck with that. And that's what his jacket was doing here. I'm cool. And so is Jesus. It's like, mm, Jesus is a revolutionary. He didn't come here to be cool. And so if you're actually proclaiming the name of Jesus, then people probably aren't celebrating you for very long. Mm. Uh, Bryson? I want
3: to give TJ Moe a 55 on that one alone, just for saying (laughs) what he said, because it was was perfect. Uh, James 4.4, you can't be friends of the world and a friend of God. Uh, So I I don't think he's authentic. I gave him a 10. Um, so, yeah, pretty much the same thing as you. But now after what he just said, I want, I want to retract again, man.
4: <laughs> it factor. He still got some buzz around his name. He still, They made a big deal of him attending the Super Bowl. People seem to be interested in uh, DeMar Hamlin.
1: So I, I gave him an 18 in it factor. There should be a rule. I gave him a zero, because that's the same it factor I have, and he's going to be as relevant as I am here in about a year. There should be a rule. Well,
4: in a year,
1: give him a zero. What, <laughs> what, what does it factor mean? We should define this. It's like, to have any sort of it factor, it can't just be... You show up in a room, is there some buzz around you? Are people interested? I'm, I'm, I'm not for celebrating the victims. Not my thing. What did you do to create it? You died on the field momentarily. Someone else saved you. If you want to celebrate that guy, he's got a bigger factor than DeMar. Mm. Zero points. TJ would be unimpressed. I would rate myself lower than this guy. If TJ and
4: DeMar Hamlin were in a spades tournament, TJ would not (laughs) be impressed. All right, go ahead.
3: I gave gave him a 20 uh, because, I mean, Who's more popular than DeMar Hamlin right now? Um, he, he's on all the shows. Everybody's talking about him. Trending on Twitter. He gained millions of followers after the event. Um, just had an interview. Everybody's talking about the interview. Uh, even we're talking about him right now. So there has to be some <laughs> some some type of it factor. So I gave him a 20. All right.
4: All right. There you go. Uh, I've got him at candlelit, a 50. Uh, TJ has him at a dumpster fire <laughs> well. Make double digits. Uh, <laughs> Bryson has him at a 55 candlelit as well. All right, uh, that's it for uh, this. We're going to move on to uh, Delano. We're going to go out to uh, Washington D.C. and talk to Delano. Let me refresh my mind. oh, we're at Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders had some interesting things to say, and we're going to talk to uh, Delano Squires about that here in a second. You can email. Us and me, Fearless Blaze show at gmail.com, Delano Squires. Next. All right, welcome back. <laughs> Let's roll out to Washington, D.C. Bring in Delano Squires. Solano has written a piece about uh, Dion Sanders and Denzel Washington. It's related to uh, Dion had some interesting comments uh, with Rich Eisen about football recruiting and what type of players he looks for and what type of profile of the players he looks for. Let's play the clip. Um, more we like have different K.
8: attributes smart tough fast discipline with character yeah we're looking at now now quarterbacks are different yeah we want mother father you know dual parent mm-hmm. we want that kid to be three five and up because he's got to be smart mm-hmm. um, not bad decisions off the field uh, at all mm-hmm. because he has to be a leader of men it's so many different attributes and what we look for when we see a quarterback and you would love a coach's son Somewhere that the coaches coached him, and I'm not going down my road. I see you smiling because I, I know I know who your I know about, who your quarterback is right now. He's talking about my son. Like, <laughs> I didn't just build a template for my son, but that's what really we look for in quarterbacks. Different positions are different. Like 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 O I look for dual parent homes, right. a strong father that they adhere uh, to. Right. Um, Smart kid, three at least three, three and above. You're also describing Hurts. Yeah, tough. Well. I mean, uh, physical. I mean, offensive line. My defensive line is totally opposite. What do you mean? single mama. <laughs> 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 trying to get it. Uh, he's on free lunch. I mean, like, uh, uh, I mean, I'm talking about just trying to make it. He's trying to rescue mama. Like, mama barely made the flight.
9: <laughs> trying to get out the mother.
8: I, I, and I want him to just go get it. I, I, it's a whole different yeah. attributes that you look for in different positions, and we have that stuff just chronicle. We know what we want, and we go get it.
4: Mm. <laughs> That's fascinating on multiple, multiple levels. When we sit around and talk about black quarterbacks in the NFL and and you hear Dion talk about what coaches, because he's not the only one, what coaches are looking for, dual parents, two-parent home, and we wonder why we've struggled at the quarterback position. We don't fit the profile, and only a black coach. Uh, could say this without getting fired immediately, or having to issue a million apologies and uh, go through, you know, sensitivity training. But uh, Delano had a, a a take on this as well. Delano, uh, un- unpack your take. Sure, Jason. I, I talked about Dion. Uh, I referenced the
6: video and I said between him and Denzel Washington, um, these are two black men who understand the importance of family. Um, They talk about it in different ways. Um, And they are the perfect counter to the sort of self-destructive impulses of the people I call the aristocracy, right? The black progressive politicians, pundits, uh, preachers, performers, and professors. Um, Those people want to, quote unquote, liberate black people out of existence through promoting abortion. Whereas Deion Sanders and Denzel Washington talk about the importance of family as, as it relates um, to sort of forming and shaping young people. Uh, and I thought that Dion, the, the two of them have the track record of excellence in their respective fields. Um, they have the sort of cultural cachet where nobody's going to call them, them sellouts. And they have the courage to speak these timeless truths without sort of flinching, at least for right now. Now, we don't know what, if any, backlash Deion's going to get. And it may be to the point where he says, well, you know, I I didn't say things correctly and I wasn't mean in X, Y, and Z. That is always a possibility, particularly in sports. But he seemed quite calm and comfortable speaking his mind to Rich Eisen. And you, you heard the guy sort of laughing in the background. And it wasn't just that he said, I want these things in the quarterback. It's that he, und- he he notices patterns enough to say, there are certain things that two-parent homes produce, and there are certain things that single-parent homes produce. And I want um, different things from different sides of the ball. And that's why I look for you know different family structures to, to sort of build my team. That, that was a fascinating point. And obviously, it, it doesn't hold 100% true all the time. Um, but it holds true enough for him to say these are the things that we look for in terms of the family structure of
4: the players that we recruit. TJ, for everything Dion said, I think is commonplace among all coaches. There's a profile of players that they want overall, and then as it relates to each position,
1: but you know as well as I do, no white coach could say that. Not a chance. Um, that <clears throat> What they would say... Uh, On average, or or what they generally talk about is just the unit. They will talk about the family of the people that have great families, and then they'll talk about the person if they don't have a great family. This kid, you know, you ought to hear his coaches talk about him, and he's a great leader, and it becomes all about him if dad's not in the picture or if he's, you know. And so, uh, you know, I would prefer, and Dion would know better than I do, but I would prefer every kid on the team had two parents and they could pour into them because I think you'll just get better results based on that. But I've been around some D-linemen that fit the profile that he's talking about. And holy cow, is he, I mean, he is right. There's a different kind of fire that he's talking about. Again, probably better results overall if you're looking at building a program. But if you're looking for a sack, I get it. Look, the defensive side of the football
4: is the baby mama side of football. No, I'm just, (laughs) it's just a fact. This was true back when I was playing. It's just a fact that... And I used to watch guys, because I ended up an offensive player uh, in in high. And and one of the things I figured out about myself was there's a place you have to go mentally to play football Mm -hmm. on either side of the ball. Mm -hmm. And the more personal pain you have to tap into to unleash that anger and the energy you need, the better football player you actually are. And so. Our best football player at Ball State ended up having a cup of coffee in the NFL, a linebacker named Tim Walton. He only came to Ball State because he got shot in the arm in Detroit. And uh, he grew up in Detroit. Detroit's a tough place. He had been shot. He had a lot of pain to tap into every Saturday before practice. There, there's some guys that can go 100 miles an hour in practice, and it's they got a lot of issues. They're working out on the football field, a lot of pain. They and I used to say, and people eventually figured it out, I was like, man, Whitlock, you ain't missed enough meals. This ain't mm. important. It's not as important to you, and mm. you don't have that pain to tap into. But, but as it, the, the thing that. Dion talked about that. I thought you were going to reference TJ is in, in creating leaders who can lead your team yes. in two parent homes. And this is related. And I'm going to write about this for tomorrow. Two parent homes is why I've written about it before, but I'm going to use Dion as a jumping off point. This affects black coaches as well. If everybody's coming from or more of you are coming from, a baby mama household and white coaches are coming from two-parent households, you're not being groomed and developed for the kind of leadership that works in societies with intact family structures or in football or in sports. It's just a fact, and I'm, just, I'm glad Dion said it. Bryson, no, it's not your sports, aren't your particular area of expertise, but if you got anything you want to chime in, for,
3: well, I was going to say what you just said. Uh, a quarterback is meant to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And if you don't come from a two-parent household, you're going to be more emotional. I played football in high school. Uh, you're going to be more emotional. You're not in a position to lead because you're not going to be level-headed because you didn't get the balance from a mother and a father. Um, so I, I think he's completely on point with how you want leaders as quarterbacks. So you need that two-parent household, family
4: structure, discipline. Delano, I, I know it's something you're passionate about, but we do not I don't think we spend enough time explaining, talking about the benefits of marriage in a two-parent household, people are oblivious to it and think that everything that goes on with a kid is just random and fate and white supremacy. It's not about, oh no, there's an actual structure here that produces better results and here are all the benefits that go along with a successful marriage and two parents, mama and daddy, mama and daddy, vagina huh. and penis, not penis <laughs> and penis, not vagina and vagina, Based. mama and daddy, <laughs> there's some benefits to that, and we should talk about
6: it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, you raise a good point, Jason, because this is bigger than the NFL, right? Because sports, you're talking about multi-billion dollar industry. Um, the investments that coaches, whether on a collegiate level or on a professional level, make in players come with big price tags. So, so they do their due diligence to find certain traits, and some of them sound ridiculous. I remember I, this was years ago, where I read um, prior to the draft that some scouts were um, skeptical or hesitant to draft Andy Dalton because they didn't think that redheads made good leaders, right? Or
1: um, <laughs> it's I <true>. heard. Uh, <laughs>
6: I heard, you know, some some of them, they were they were skeptical of drafting Prince of Mukamara because they said, you know, Nigerian players don't necessarily have the fire because he played cornerback, and you know, a lot of the, a lot of the Nigerian players come from more stable families, right? So th- there's a lot going on here, but it, as it relates to the family, yes, the, the everything in life works best when it's used according to the way its creator designed it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean things work perfectly. But no, no one would go to a car lot, buy a, a brand new car, spend $50,000 on it, and drive it off the lot if two of the wheels were spares. You wouldn't say, well, the car is new. Two spares is no different than four factory tires. What's the big deal? Um, because you understand that, that the car works best when, when used according to its manufacturer's specifications. And, and relationships between human beings is no different. Um, now, that doesn't mean that even if you have four factory tires, that your car um, doesn't need an oil change, that it won't break down at some point, um, that you won't have some other uh, uh, defect or issue. Because those things come with use. And the same thing with life. Certain things, you, people live life. People get, get sick. Um, you know, There are all sorts of life circumstances that people have to go through. But generally speaking, Children fare best when raised by uh, their married biological parents in a loving, low-conflict household. And that has benefits both for boys, who who get to see what male leadership looks like in real time, and it has benefits for girls, um, who get to see what wifely submission looks like in real time. And it allows each, both the, the, the sons and the daughters, to interact with the opposite sex parent. Um, to get a sense of, you know, what those relationships should look like when they become adults, and this is, th- th- this is really what the piece I, re- I wrote yesterday is really sort of the, the the follow-up to the piece I wrote on Friday when I talked about, you know, Pink Book lessons, the YouTube channel, you know, the the woman who's part Kevin Samuel's part Libs of TikTok part Shaharazad Ali, who doles out relationship advice to to young women, and and frequently tells them that they are out of order in terms of. Their, their disrespect um, for men. She, her audience is largely black, but not exclusively. And the fact that their behavior, um, their style of dress, their mode of communication does not work as it relates to the needs and desires of men. So, <clears throat> excuse me, both, both men and women benefit from the family structure as God designed it to be. And I think, you know, Dion picked up on that. And as I said, Denzel Washington, and I said this in the piece, is notorious for doing this. There'll be reporters. One of them was from the Griot. The other one was from other outfit. They try to get him to, to speak on systemic issues. And he'll say, you know, one guy asked him about mass incarceration. He said, I, I think we need to make headway in the house because it all starts in the home. And he went on like a five minute, you know, monologue about why having mama and daddy in the house is best, particularly for the young man. Because if dad is not there, then the streets raise him, and and the prison ends up being his home. And this is a message that is is true across the board, regardless of you know ethnic background or skin color. Um, but it's something that obviously has particular resonance in, in the black community.
4: Delano, I know that you have to bounce here. You got a limited amount of time at CPI, but I want to ask you this. And, and, and then we may continue the conversation after, after you go. I want to change up topics. I saw something over Twitter that kind of surprised me. You are a defender of the so-called Black National Anthem, uh, mm-hmm. Help me understand, it's in controversy, it's in the news cycle again. Carrie Lake didn't stand up during the so-called Black National Anthem at the Super Bowl. We're now playing two different national anthems at the Super Bowl. I don't like it, but you, uh, I think, are a defender of it.
6: Yeah, so uh, let me start here, right? I I understand one of the things that that makes America great, obviously, is, is our, you know, the the, the sort of rich cultural history and and heritage that we have. But one of the things that, that I like about it is that I don't expect everyone to prioritize the same things I prioritize, right? I don't expect all of the country to have the thought patterns of a kid from Queens or from Brooklyn. I don't expect them all to think like a guy from Central Texas. So there are certain things that resonate with me that may not resonate with another person. And as I said, I tweeted. Um, when I was in elementary school, all black elementary school in Queens, we, we sung Lift Every Voice and Sing, typically at assembly. But every morning we would sing, you know, Star Spangled Banner and do the, the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, hand over the heart and all that. Um, and that, that was completely fine. No, nobody had any issue with it. We, there weren't dual loyalties for, for, for the kids in my class. So when I saw conservatives reacting the way that they did, to a song that's a hymn that's over 100 years old that was given the nickname Black National Anthem sometime in the the late early 1900s, it it didn't make sense to me, um, to me personally. Um, Particularly, Jason, because the song on Super Bowl Sunday was not introduced that way. It is known colloquially as the Black National Anthem, but no Black person I know personally actually thinks that it's a separate anthem. So the fact that it was introduced by its name, Lift Every Voice and Sing, in the same way that America the Beautiful was introduced by its name told me that this was an overreaction, an unnecessary overreaction. Now, to be fair, I understand the overreaction because the NFL didn't start doing this until 2020, post-George Floyd, in a moment where everybody was saying the country is systemically and endemically racist. And, and part of what was happening before Floyd, and I would say particularly in, in the Kaepernick era of the NFL, was this notion that a country that is built on white supremacy and infected with racism um, needs to be torn down and rebuilt. And every country needs its symbols, it needs its, its, its totems, it, it needs its, um, its history. So when you rebuild, you need a new founding, not 1776, but 1619. You need a new flag. At the time, some people might have wanted the the the, the race folks might have wanted you know the, the green, black, and red of the uh, UNIA, the Marcus <clears throat> Garvey organization. Now it's it's clearly the Pride flag, clearly, because rainbow tops uh, Trump's black in the hierarchy of oppression. So you need a new flag, and you need a new anthem. And Jason, if you remember, a couple years back, and again, this was in the Kaepernick era. There was this notion, there was this, this you know, it was going around. I I, th- I feel like Jamel Hill, Michael Smith might have commented on this. Oh, Star Spangled Banger- Banner has a secret third verse that nobody talks about, and it talks about hirelings and slaves, and, and we need to get rid of the Star Spangled Banner. And at the time, some people were suggesting that we should lean into America the Beautiful. Now, I never got into that because I thought it was stupid, because I'm not a, I'm not a super sensitive person like that, and I believe his a country is like a family. It, it, it is what it is. You take the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you understand that, that that family has shaped you in many respects, and you don't tear it down. And to the extent that you have a sharp blade in, in your pocket, it's not an ax to destroy, but it, it may be a pruning shears to, to clean so that it can grow better. So I approach Lift Every Voice and Sing the same way. It has its own history. It has its own context. The, the lyrics themselves are God-honoring. And I am not a person that believes I have to react to everything that the left does. Right? I can stand on my own square, on my own two feet, and says this means this particular thing to me. I understand how people may be using it, but I'm not willing to let it go just because some lefties think that we need to remake the, the entire country. So th- th- that, that's my general premise. And when I found out that it wasn't introduced as the Black National Anthem, I said, yeah, there's people making a big thing out of something that they should be um, more, it should prompt more questions for them to, to do their own research and explore, as opposed to these um, outsized sort of emotional reactions.
4: So uh, uh, keep in mind, I- I'm Million Man March, Again, I've, I've told you I, I, I will never back away from the fact that, you know, used to get Farrakhan tape shipped to me at Ball State and been to Savior's Day and all that. But Farrakhan has his history, and so if they brought, if there was still a pregame prayer and they rolled Farrakhan out to do the uh, pregame prayer at the Super Bowl, and people objected because like. Well, hold on, Farrakhan's going, well, he's just here to do a prayer on religious grounds and blah, blah, blah. N- none of that other stuff matters. I- I'd be like, no, nah, that's BS. There- there's some baggage to Farrakhan that-, that we can't ignore. In 1917, they started, the NAACP started calling this the Black National Anthem. If it wasn't called the Black National Anthem, it wouldn't, have be, it wouldn't be involved in the Super Bowl. It, it just wouldn't be. It would just, because again, if they, I got some gospel songs I'd love for them to sing at the Super Bowl. <laughs> we can start with something about the name of Jesus, and we'll get uh, Rance Allen out of the grave and send Kirk Franklin out there, and we will set it off Revolution. at the Super
9: Bowl. Started. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll set it
4: off. But But the Black National Anthem is there because it's called the Black National Anthem, and it's there because of George Floyd. And so mm-hmm. I just don't think we can pretend like, oh, well, it's just lift every voice, it's a great hymn. I just don't think we can play that game.
6: So so here's how I would respond, right? One, I take your Farrakhan point, but the same issues you people would have with Farrakhan in 2023, they would have had in 1993. It's it's not as if he he sort of morphed from from, you know, this this unifying figure in, in the nineties. Uh, to, to a more divisive figure in the 2020s. The, the, the same issues have, have been there. So, so I, I think it's a little bit different. But, but here, here's my point, Jason, and, and as I said, I, I think, and, and I'm, I may have to go back and do my research, there may have been some, I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a loud chorus of people, but a few influential people who say, look, why don't we sing America the Beautiful? It's a much better song than Star Spangled Banner, right? And what I'm saying is, we would not allow people who have division and separatism on their mind to tarnish the, the intent and legacy of America the Beautiful because they want to replace the Star Spangled Banner with it. right? In the same way, we, we would not back away from you know, showing the American flag because there's some leftists who think, oh, the American flag itself is a hate symbol. So what I'm saying is the, the right's position cannot always be Um, As a a reaction to what the left proposes, at a certain point you have to say no. This is a song created, you know, by a guy in part to honor Abraham Lincoln at a particular time in our history. And and I and I grant you that I understand why it was being used, right? But the cultural significance of that song for for Black folks, yes, in part, is because of 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 the nickname, but but really, it's the substance of the song itself, right? So, so even in times where people where I've been at events, even as, a, as an adult, you know, like in college and stuff, they are referred to as, as lift every voice and sing. And, and the one thing that, that I want to make clear is that in 1917, the NAACP at, at that point, you know, James Weldon Johnson, this was not a separatist song at that point. And, and I think one of the things that's very tempting but dangerous for conservatives is to look at quote, unquote, racial justice activists today hear echoes of what they say today in some of what people might have said 60, 70, 80, 100 years ago and assume that both groups are speaking the same language. So if, if uh, a black person in 1915 talks about feeling oppressed right, because of their race, they lived in a completely different world, one that many of, none of us can really understand, than Patrice Cullors and, and Alicia Garza, who take the money that they make off of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and go and live in 98% white neighborhoods. So, so I think in the same way conservatives say that we should contextualize George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and understand that slavery was all throughout the world and that we shouldn't judge them on what we see as the worst moments in their lives, we have to apply the same standard of contextualization to things that may discomfort us at first. But again, if you really look at what is being sung here and what is being said and why it was being said at that particular time, this is something that I think that, that conservatives, outside of all the controversy, should be able to say, no, this is a, this is a part of our, of our lineage and our heritage as a country and something that we should not see to the
4: left. Hmm. Only because you're out of time, I'm letting you go. We're going to continue this conversation. I'm going to let TJ. I'm good. Oh, you are? I'm good. Oh, okay. Hold on. Oh, all right. Well, then, you know what? I'm going to let these guys jump in, and then I'm going to.
1: I have one analogy for for Delano here, Uh, because I I actually really like your position of we don't let the left hijack our symbols and make them what they want them to be. Otherwise, pretty soon we'll be out of symbols. I do like that point. I've I've made a similar point over the years. However, something an analogy would be this. The rainbow, once upon a time, was a representation of God's promise to us that he would never flood the earth again. If the NFL takes the rainbow flag and puts it out there on the NFL field and says, this is for gay rights, I can't sit there and celebrate, all right, this rainbow to me actually means this, and here's what it was designed to be, and what it really means is God's promise to me he'll never flood the earth again. And so for you, it means something. The rainbow still to me means that God will not flood the earth, but I'm well aware the NFL marched out there and said, this is for pride that's it and this is in your face and that's what the NFL is doing with the black national anthem this is for black people all you white people this you and your white supremacy national anthem star spangled banner you keep that we're the real Christians over here the black people we're gonna sing this this Christian hymn and that's why I just don't think we can ignore that because they're making it so blatantly obvious here's a symbol here's what it means now sing along
6: yeah I I think that's a great point TJ I think one of the big differences is that I don't even think most Christians understand what the symbol of the rainbow originally meant, right? And 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 that is the big difference I would say in terms of the the black folk who come to this organically, right? Now again, I I granted that I understand why people have a reaction. The same way we talked about this Jason last year with Juneteenth, right? And 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 maybe there's an argument for keeping certain things local or within your specific community, because once they go national, they, it presents an opportunity for more misunderstanding. But I, I married a gal from Texas. Her family's been celebrating Juneteenth for, for decades. And I've seen some of the Juneteenth celebrations. Now, I grew up in New York, so it, it wasn't a thing for me. But when Juneteenth, and I, I think this is to your point, TJ, as is presented even subtly or more explicitly by the people who I think want to cause division, as the true sort of Independence Day for America, even though at, at the time of the Emancipation Proclamation, um, there were still two states that in which slavery, after that proclamation, two states in which slavery was still legal, one being Kentucky and the other one, ironically enough, being Delaware, um, there were people who pushed back on it. And what I'm saying is you, the, I think the right should be careful about cutting off our nose to spite the left's face. right? Because a lot of our struggles sort of publicly are about history and symbols. And what I'm saying is we can't always cut and run. Now certain things, I think, have been so bastardized that trying to fight for them become an uphill battle. right? The swastika is a symbol, I think, from sort of Indian culture that predates the Nazis. I'm not arguing for trying to reclaim that. But what I'm saying is, for a lot of people, White, white or, or black, um, their first introduction to Lift Every Voice and Sing is pro- probably was during the Super Bowl a couple years back. So it's still, fairly, it's still fairly new. And as you know, TJ, it, it's easier to sort of, well, you, hopefully you don't have this case, but um, all, at least two to three of our kids had misshapen heads, right, when they came out the womb. And women of a different generation would have said, look, that baby head is all different types of shapes. Let, let, me, let me shape it now while it's young and soft so that as it grows, it forms in its, in its proper place. And what I'm saying is some of these things are still young enough where we can shape them not to lie, but to tell the honest truth and to say, look, part of what the song says is we, we should celebrate how far we've come. And I think it's important for conservatives to take, to take an understanding. Imagine being a black man in 1917. And and having the sort of clarity to say, we should understand how far we've come as a nation in just the last 50 plus years, right? Mm -hmm. I guarantee James Weldon Johnson's parents were born into slavery. So when he says that, that means something. And what I'm saying is, we should say, look, if he was saying that in 1917, we should definitely celebrate how far we've come in, in 2023. But instead, I think what a lot of people did was, oh, it's got black on it, it's got national anthem on it, they literally think that they're singing a different national anthem, less, you know, pounce and, and jump on it. And I, and I think that plays into, and I'll, this is the last piece I'll say that plays into the notion that the left has that the right is not a, a comfortable place for black people who um, still have a sense of small p pride, not, not pridefulness, but still feel like, hey, Yeah, you I'm, just said I'm, my I'm, word. No, no, I, I, I got we, it. We gotta I got to get rid it. of it.
4: Small or capitalized or small. Pride, pride and this, this all flows from racial idolatry to me, but go, I, I, I don't want to cut you idolatry, off. I'm sorry. I,
6: I'm not saying idolatry, and, and I think there's a difference, because Jason, when, when you, there is no one, I think, in the public sphere who is as, as associated with his r- university as Jason Whitlock. I do not, I do not take it that you, that you are idolatrous towards Ball State. You just have it, like I went there, this is my school, it helped shape me, and I rep it. Now, if I, if I came to your house and you had a, an altar built to, to Ball State and you were lighting incense, I'd probably step back and say, all right, maybe this is going a little too far. But what I'm saying is, they are black folk who say, look, I'm black, it is not the most important thing about me, but it is part of who I am. In the same way there's people who are Italian or Jewish or Irish or Korean or Chinese, and we don't ask That's any not of skin people. colors. It's, it's ethnicity. And, and black people in this country could say, I'm from Ogun State, Nigeria, if not for the slave trade. Because n- none of us, you, you basically take Angola, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, Ivory Coast. You smash it together. You, you put it into the American South, and it travels up through the country. And that's how you get black American. So, so what I'm saying, all I'm saying is that there's a way to deal with these things but if the only tool that the right has in its pocket is a hammer, then every problem of, that even mentions race is going to be a nail, unless it's something that mentions race where we hit the left, because conservatives have no problem talking about race when we're talking about Planned Parenthood, abortion and Margaret Sanger.
3: I I, I think, don't get me wrong, the the song itself isn't bad, but I I, I think what you're saying is unfair and it seems like it's because you personally like the song. Because you brought up the swastika and said, I don't want to do it with the swastika, but I want to do it with this song. And it's like, that's inherently hypocritical if you want to be logically consistent. Um, And then you brought up the NAACP. Now, if you were using the Black Panthers, the Black Panther Party now is obviously a lot different than the original Black Panthers. I come from a lot of Black Panthers. But uh we talk about NAACP, they're pretty much corrupt from the start, from literal inception. Look at how they were created, who funded them, even from the beginning. So I, I, so if the NAACP started made a Black National Anthem, and that's what they called it, and then you said um, Black people don't view it as a separate national anthem. But, but they do, though. That, the only reason it's on the NFL like Jason, like Jason said was because it's called the Black National Anthem and now when I hear people talk about it because while
4: I'm from in North Carolina I rarely heard that song Like literally rarely heard the Lithuanian voice song For, let me I was talking to Shamika about this she said heard it you know a lot where she's from in North Carolina Not me. So, and, and she even in school, said which, every day. Which, mm-hmm. which shocked me she said that her daughter who's 27 heard it in school I'm like well hold on you tell me they took the Bible out of school, but you could sing gospel songs in school. It, it just all, and, and I lift every voice and sing, sung at 25th Street Baptist Church, that's where I grew up. Didn't hear it in school, heard it in church, and v- that that was it for me. I
3: never heard it in school. I went to public school in High Point North Carolina, from elementary to the time I graduated. Mm. Never ever heard it. They might have played it a lot in colleges, but I didn't. I didn't go to college. They probably played it at HBCUs. I don't know. But I never heard it. I never heard it in school. But black people literally call it nowadays. I hear them call it the Black National Anthem more than I hear them call it Lift Every Voice. Mm. So they do think it's a separate national anthem. And then they had end racism on the Super Bowl field. If y'all saw that. has not worked yet, but they'll, they'll get
1: there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so, 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 uh, so you know, so, I, I don't know. I understand the criticism of it because the criticism is not of the song itself. The song itself is actually pretty conservative. Yeah. Uh, like you said, it's not it's not a bad song at all. But they're trying to weaponize the song itself. And it's
4: only there because of black national anthem. I, I get my overall <laughs> complaint, Delano, would be is is I'm personally in, in this show isn't really about conservative or republican or that dynamic it's about standing on the square of christianity Mm -hmm. and it's it's about standing on the square pride we've somehow turned it into a positive and the bible seems crystal clear to me i was in it this morning i watched a whole sermon this morning about the, the the problems with pride literally i'm reading proverbs and I watched the Andrew Womack sermon uh, about let go of pride. And he, he was speaking to an all-black church in a great 45-minute. Someone had sent it to me over Twitter, watched it this morning. And, and so the square I'm standing on is about pride. And somehow, as black Christians, we have let the culture convince us that pride is a positive. And it's you know, I can't say it started, but it really started taking off. James Brown, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And it's just taking on a life of its own where pride, pride, pride is a good thing. I got I'm proud of being black. I'm proud. I just it, it's it's pride is is the germ that or is connected to idolatry, and that's why I, you know, pride is making us, hey, we gotta have our own national anthem and we gotta. And, and it's just a slippery slope that, that we've already seen the results of. We're watching the alphabet mafia, the LGBTQ mafia, piggyback off all these prideful things and, and all these little uh, exceptions that have to be made, and, and then I'll go back to even say, because I was thinking about it this morning, uh, I'll, I'll go back to hold on. So the people that fought and died on the battlefield in the 1860s for our freedom. Black and white people on both sides of the fight, but the people that fought and died, were they fighting to be fully a part of America, or were they sitting out there saying, you know, one day we're gonna have a black national anthem, one day we're gonna have X, Y, and Z, and and so everybody loves to talk about Jason, when you, when you don't vote, it's a disgrace to your ancestors who suffered and died. I'm just not sure, and, and I know some of them were out there maybe dying for the right to vote. They were out there dying, in my view, for freedom mm. and to be full American citizens. And so I want to be free, I want to be a full American citizen, I want to participate in the, not just out of uh, a selfishness or make me feel good It's out of belief and a knowing and a knowledge that every success America has had, black people contributed greatly to every single one. And they may not have been there when the Wright brothers invented the airplane, but they were part of creating the culture and the environment where great inventors and people could accomplish things and so I just want to be fully baked into that. I don't want to build little separate things. There's nothing wrong with the national anthem and and the promotion of a black national anthem, even though it's a spiritual song and all that. It's just more racial division that clearly, if if not for the great Saint George Floyd who came and Fentanyl and <laughs> gave us their only begotten son, George Floyd, to save all of us, that national that black national anthem would just not be playing at the super bowl and and so i've always liked lift every voice and sing they've turned it into a polarizing and divisive deal so i i'm i'm ranting can i jump in here yeah, <laughs> that
1: what delano i think when he's saying little p pride what 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 I've always liked when my dad used to tell me, you take pride in your work. That means to take mm-hmm. satisfaction in, to highly value something. And so it is not to be prideful in that. I did that. Look at me. I'm awesome. It is. No, I'm doing this for someone. If I'm a carpenter, I'm so doing a good job. just got day, a good i here,
4: TJ. I'm sorry. I'm just a There's so much power in the words in the Bible, and they're there for a specific reason. I agree with you take satisfaction in hard work and all that other stuff. But the Bible's just crystal clear on that word pride and what it means. Well, so,
1: so it's a misuse, okay? So uh, all I'm saying is switch it out and instead of saying take pride in your work, take satisfaction in your work, and it's the same idea. And that's what people mean. I think that's what Delano meant. You Take satisfaction, highly value where you've come from, what yeah. your heritage is. And so we can change out the word, but the meaning doesn't actually change, at least not the way that I, I think Delano's using it. But again, what I and what when I, what you start
4: using the word pride, it changes the way people want to use things. Mm. And, and so it, it, it redefines the conversation. If you, you know what, I take satisfaction in what black people have accomplished. It gives me confidence in what I can accomplish. But now when you start taking pride in it, pride, you want to boast. You want to show it off. I'm, I'm black and I'm proud. And again, I'll go back to your guy, Andrew Womack. This is your man. He's crystal clear on pride. I'm I was, not even the
1: one who sent you that. I Somebody
4: know. Else? But I, I, was I watched the sermon. I'm in the Living Commentary Bible. I go to check Tony Evans, what he has to say. Yeah. About, everything's crystal clear about pride, and it's that slippery slope that takes you to idolatry. And we have a very idolatrous black people do with our skin color. That's we true. have a very idolatrous relationship with that, and that's why we want a... Uh, black national anthem play, instead of just hey we got a national anthem we were instrumental essential to America's success why create a separate national anthem I, I'm, I'm, I'm again I'm passionate I'm rambling I want to give you guys yeah. Delano hop back in yeah sure 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 I, I mean I, I agree with TJ in terms of you know
6: like words have meanings and, and, and they have context right so as I said Anybody, anybody looking at you, Jason, would say, man, this guy, he's he showing you know, Ball State pride. It's not just satisfaction. It's like, no, I, I went to the school and, and I rep it. And again, it's not, it's not
4: idolatrous, but I think one, one of the uh, hardest... Hold on. Let me, let me, just, yeah. let me stop you. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. This is issue. <laughs> Go I'm ahead. What I'm trying to do with Ball State is show support because I okay. think it's important. Anything that helped me, I turn back around and help them or it. And right. so, this show, Jesus Christ played a big role in my life and why I've been so blessed. So, I'm trying to give back to Jesus. We can call my mother, give back to her, my father, he's passed, give back to him, my brother, sister, Ball State, Warren Central High School. I'm trying to model a behavior of gratitude for the places that have been good to me. I'm not. To be honest with you, Ball State, now I'm about to keep it real. I got Ball State paraphernalia on right now. So I'm about to keep it real. <laughs> There's many things going on at Ball State right now that I'm embarrassed by. The campus mm-hmm. has gone so woke. And and so, again, I'm not sitting around beating my chest right now about oh, Ball State, blah, blah, blah. But Ball State did something for me, and it's incumbent upon me to turn around and do something for them. That's the behavior I'm trying to model for everyone and my, it's yes. a spirit of gratitude and appreciation, but go ahead. And, 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 and the way you said
6: it just now is perfect, right? Ball State did something um, for me. I'm trying to do something for them. And, and part of it, I'm, I'm inferring a little bit, but it's like the school has meaning for me, and I'm not trying to cede to it to people who want to destroy it. And, and that, that's the main point that I'm, that I'm making, right? And I, again, a lot of times... Conservatives will talk about being culture warriors, but at the first sign of conflict, they cut and run. Now, there are certain things that, that, where, where the, the territory has been so infected, it's like, all right, we may have to come back to this a different day when, when we can soften up this defense a little bit. But there are other things, and, and this is where I would disagree with Bryson, where it's like, this, this is not lift every voice and sing. And even, Jason, you said you, you sung it in church. Again, I've, I've sung it from hymnals, and it wasn't referred to as the Black National Anthem, and certainly not in church. Right. Maybe at a cultural event, at a black step show, so on and so forth. But it's like this is not one of those things where the overwhelming majority of people have attached a negative meaning to it. I think that there's a certain number of people online who are doing that. But even to what Bryson said, like I I know, you know, people talk about the NAACP and being infiltrated by Marxists and commies. and, And that certainly was the case, certainly as it as it got older. But so was the Panthers. Sir,
4: day one. Day one. Day one. It so wasn't were, our money. So so were the Capital Panthers. Capital J's. It was their money, their organization. <laughs> let, let me tell you <laughs> the fact. The, Black- so
1: the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the,
4: the, the Black
6: Panthers were not a pro, a pro a pro nuclear family, pro Christian, pro capitalism organization. Not in the nineteen sixties. I'm sorry. So that doesn't mean that no, they didn't
3: I'm, do I'm, I'm, I'm not do good things. I'm not saying they shared our values. I'm saying the Black okay. Panther Party now that you see now is a completely different thing than the Black Panther Party, how it originated. Because they were still commies back then. But I never said they shared my values. But if, you look, but if you talk to them, they are ashamed of whatever Black, Black, Black Panthers claim to be not a Black Panther Party. There's a new Black Panther Party. So there is a difference. NAACP you- was corrupt overall from day one is what I was saying.
6: So so what what and, and and we could disagree on the history, and, and that, that may be a, a, a totally different segment and show, but 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 what I'm saying is i'm I'm not of the mind of always giving over things to people who want to destroy them. At a certain point, you got to hold a piece of land and say, "Y'all are not going to desecrate this, right and, well, and, uh, and- but
4: but but, uh-huh. but uh, uh, look, mm-hmm. I would love the, the lift every voice. it was intended to be sung in churches. And, and so yeah. I'm not seeding that land sporting events now I'm telling you if they want to bring people to God and Jesus, I'm all for it but the the whole little <laughs> Marxist agenda the NFL has adopted all their uh, diversity equity and inclusion and and LGBT alpha the right, NFL was right, right. just called, well, the NFL is gay it's gay yeah, yeah that's yeah. their agenda they have no Jesus agenda. And they're secularizing a song that was spiritual and gospel. And they're doing it in promotion of their Marxist agenda. It's offensive to me. And again, I know most people don't see it on that level because they're so caught up in our skin color idolatry. All you got to do is slap the name black on it and we're good with it. And that's why yeah. th- th- they're slapping and again, Delano, I don't want to embarrass you, and TJ. I know I won't embarrass uh, Bryson because I can say almost anything. But they slapping the word "black" on booty holes, and everybody's crawling in, and 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 because they're, they're sheep and they're that kind of idiots, and 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 I'm trying to snap people out of it. God don't want you in that booty hole. Uh, And so it it just we're just slapping black on everything and and, and black culture or whatever. Hip hop is black and blah, blah, blah. And that's weed smoking. That's baby mama. That's gang violence. Anything labeled black is just like, oh, that's good. And we just got to accept it. They've turned our idolatry. And it's all in the Bible. What idolatry does to you? They've turned our, our idolatry into our greatest suicide. It's cyanide we're taking virtually every day. All, I'm sorry not mean it. Delano, I am well because it has been 3-on-1. I'm going to give you final say. We'll play tomorrow and then we'll, we'll <laughs> see you guys tomorrow. So take as long as you want, Delano.
6: No, I, 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 look, on, on the central point in terms of, you know, the, the people pushing this stuff, I think we're all in agreement. I do not trust their motives um i I don't like how they uh, you know everything is about different identity groups as you said the nfl is gay goodell has these benchmarks for female executives which completely blows up the notion that these things should be based on you know percentage of 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 a particular demographic among the player pool because no women play in the nfl so I, i i completely understand that um all i'm saying is I agree. Again, I agree with you, Jason, in terms of what people are trying to turn black into. Now, my question is, uh, are we willing, particularly black Christian conservatives right, with a biblical worldview, willing to say we we take neither pride nor have a sense of shame or guilt because of our skin color. We accept it for what it is um, because God created us this way right? Our primary identity is is as image bearers, and and we may have, you know, particular affections for for our our kinsmen in the flesh, but ultimately we're all image bearers, right? Are we willing to present a more positive, affirming message, one that can go across sort of the board of humanity for different ethnic groups in this country? Because again, you know, my, my wife, as I said, my wife grew up in the South. And in Houston, they got guys riding horses down the street, Hispanic guys riding horses down the street. I grew up in New York. You, uh, 50% of the black people I knew growing up were, were from the West Indies. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a large, dynamic cult, uh, country with different pockets of people from different places and different cultures. And if we want to keep this thing together as a union, th- there's going to need to be some give there um, understanding that there are a certain set of values that we should unite around. And what I'm saying is I I, I don't always want to feel like, you know, um, people are in in a position of retreat when it comes to some of these cultural issues. Because, and again, this is not my main thing. I'm not a Republican pollster or consultant, but a lot of people were saying, oh, this is why Republicans can't get black folk. And my position is, look, if a black person don't want to vote for their own values because Trump says he doesn't like Rihanna, then that's on them. Then you won't get what it is that you vote for, right? <clears throat> that, that's, that's, that's a personal choice. All I'm saying is black, to me, again, as, as, as close an ethnic identifier as you can come in this country, does not mean all of those things. I refuse to let blackness be defined by Nicole Hannah Jones, Ibram Kendi, B.L.M., and the, the, the useful idiots in the aristocracy. I don't want to give up that fight. There may come a day where, where I do and I say, look, great separation is here. If this is if this is what black is going to mean for the broader culture, I can't go with y'all. Right. As I said in one of my, my pieces a couple weeks ago, you gonna call me names. It's better to be Uncle Tom than the Sambo. I, I see you on on the other side of eternity, you know, wish you well. But I don't think we're there yet. And all, all I'm saying is, you know, th- there's a lot of richness to American history. And we spend a lot of time in our culture talking about history, whether it's in Florida and all these other places. But most of us, left, right, right, black, white, Chinese, or candy stripe, focus on a very, very narrow sliver of that history. And what I'm saying is there are opportunities to, to broaden that out and have you know, some, some rich discussion. So I think ultimately, I agree with y'all in terms of 85% of this thing. The last thing I'll say is this, James Clyburn, representative from South Carolina, again, Democrat, I don't particularly trust him, suggested we make lift every voice and sing the national hymn. Hymn, not new national anthem. I think something like that could be an interesting proposal. But if he and other people in the media are, are going to say, well, it's the black national anthem, then I think we get back to where we are right now, which, it, which is, in fact, creating more division at a time where we need unity more than ever.
4: Thank Mm -hmm. you, D. Thank you, guys. All right, we'll play some tomorrow. I promise I wouldn't say anything else, but I am gonna say anything else. I got a national hymn for him. <laughs> Something about the name of Jesus. Ooh.
1: <laughs> can, I, can I get one thing off my chest here? <clears throat> the NFL is 100% right about redheads. Terrible leaders. There's never been a redhead win a Super Bowl. There's been 57 Super Bowls. They're 2% of the population. They should have won one by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, All right, uh, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: striking like a ladder, making all this news for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. i breaking
6: my back for freedom. Blessed, we are living, get back, we are receiving all deceiving we all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want I wanna be. I just want I wanna be. I just want I wanna be. I just want.